Welcome to the Sales Street Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And for more information about our church, visit salesstreet.org. Amen. Guys can be seated. Thank you. Guys, for uh, leading us in a spirit-filled time of worship uh, this morning, and may that continue. Back in August, I was over next door at the Annex, and uh, we were just beginning the the launch of the Food for Thought program. We were trying to transform that building from a baseball training facility to a, a warehouse where food would be shipped out every week, and so I had this concrete grinder, and I was in there grinding away, and Man, it was full of dust, and one of the air conditions hadn't been working, so we called the air conditioned man, and he came, he came out and happened to show up, you know, when the room was full of dust and all the filters were clogged up, and I thought, every AC man's dream, right? He just walked in, and, and, and the, all the filters are clogged, one machine was down, but he was a nice guy, and he started fixing it. Turns out one of the uh, outside units uh, needed to be replaced, and so he... You know, we're communicating back and forth. He's getting the parts and everything. And he comes and he, he replaces it. And he says, you know, he says, it's going to be about $4,000. And, and I was like, okay, you know, we've got to get this thing up and going. Well, a couple hours later, he came back by and he said, uh, well, while he was there, he said, what are y'all going to be doing here? So we, you know, we shared the vision, right? What little bit we knew at that point is the Lord is just leading us to start a food ministry to give Food to children uh, in Calcasieu Parish who don't have much to eat on the weekend so that uh, they might have something to eat. And so a couple hours later, he came back and he said, man, he said, I want to share with you that I talked to the guy who owns the business and they're just going to donate everything. And I thought, man, praise the Lord. Yeah. So then a couple weeks later, roofing contractors here, we, you know, we got a lot of construction going on and. He sees a little activity going on over there, and he's like, man, what's going on? Share the vision with him. He said, well, man, I'm a, I want to make a, a donation. He got his checkbook out and made a donation. Print shop next door. Notice some activity going on. What's going on over here? Yeah, praise the Lord. So same thing. Man, they get their checkbook out and start giving. When... When the grace of God becomes evident to us, it transforms us from takers into givers. Every person in the flesh is selfish and sinful, but the God of heaven is so gracious that he gave his only son. John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The love of God, the grace of God, it transforms us. And just, just outsiders here at Cell Street looking in and seeing just a glimpse of God's grace made them generous. And I use that to illustrate the truth that we find in Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to turn there with me. And 
A lot of times, I think we rely on the screens for the scripture. Today may be a good day if you want to open your Bible or your app, because I'm going to be referring back and forth to it. If you need a pew Bible in front of you, page 967 will we'll get you there. This passage really teaches us the very truth that I've shown you that, that has come to light through a few folks uh, being generous to, to one of the ministries here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Now, typically we preach through books of the Bible here at Self Street. Right now we, we just finished the book of Acts. We're fixing to start the book of James in about three weeks, but in between... We're taking four weeks to, to work through uh, four of the 12 characteristics of a healthy church. So last week, uh, Kent preached on biblical accountability. And uh, those are four that we've missed over the last couple of years as we hit some of those. Uh, today, we're going to talk about biblical giving. Next week, I think it's biblical membership. And then the following week will be biblical evangelism. Then we'll start in the book of James. So I just a little insight on kind of the, the preaching ministry here um, at Cell Street. Now, some of you might have heard a lot of sermons on giving, and you might have already turned off. I just ask to give me one chance to, to just share with you, if you'll just, just give me one opportunity to share with you what true New Testament grace-based giving looks like. I've heard a lot of bad sermons on giving, and uh, I, I'm praying, and I've prepared that this would not be one of those. And here's what a lot of those sound like, right? Is is like you, you better give or you're going to have to stand before God for that. What this passage teaches us something far different, right? What it teaches is we've received everything we could have ever wanted in Jesus Christ and that does something in our hearts. And that's my prayer today is not just that we'd get more money but that our hearts would be so filled with Jesus that we'd be the most generous people on earth. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 15, and then we're going to look at 9, 6 through 15, talks about this very principle as he writes this letter to the church at Corinth. Two things that I think this passage teaches us. It teaches us what the right attitude is in giving and also what the right amount is or really is not. We'll talk about that when we get there. Chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you see that you excel in this act of grace also I say this not as a command very important right there not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, if you go over to chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that your spirit would open our eyes, unstop our ears so that your will might be done in our hearts. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul is using the the testimony of the, the churches of Macedonia and how the grace of God has so moved them, even though they didn't have much to help others. And in that, we can learn a lot about the power of God's grace, the beauty of God's grace. God's grace changes us from the inside out. Our hearts are not changed by how much we do or give or say. Our hearts are changed through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the greatest gift that we have received by the grace of God. And when that happens, it changes everything outside of us. And so the grace of God, the Bible teaches, right? It, it, it changes us from sinners to saints, from deceivers to confessors, from rebels to listeners, from selfish to selfless, and it, it changes takers into givers. How? When the Spirit of God shows us the perfection of Christ and who He is and what He has done. 
and convicts us of our own sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we put all of our faith and hope in Him. The Spirit moves into our heart and everything is new. We have a new heart. We have a new attitude, new behaviors. Now, we don't become perfect instantly, but the process begins where grace changes us. Now, grace doesn't just hide our sins from God. It drives them out. We never want to offend anyone who has been good to us. How much greater is it to know that the God of the universe, holy, pure, and perfect, who created us, who we offended with our very first sin in such a way that it separated us from him forever, gave his only son, who came and lived a perfect, sinless life that we are incapable of living, was crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day so that every person who truly trusts in him not only be forgiven, but delivered from the power of sin. That's the way we receive God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, our lives are changed just like those of the Macedonian churches that we read about in this very passage. Given with the right attitude is worship. It's not keeping a command, right? It's a response to what we have received from God. And the difference is biblical giving, right? Grace-fueled giving is a response to what we have received from God as not the keeping of a commandment. And that's a truth that still needs to be embraced by the modern-day church. There are still many people who hold to, to, to that law-based giving that says, I've got you know, to give because it's required by God. But the New Testament teaches something much, much different. And so let's look first at the attitude of our giving. First of all, we see that this passage teaches we must give graciously. Obviously, grace moves us to be gracious. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So Paul's testimony is rooted in grace, right? He sees grace as the reason these people have been so generous. Verse 5 of chapter 8 says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And so it's a response to the Lord. It's not a response to the need so much. Chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus left the perfection of heaven and came as a carpenter who didn't even have a place to lay his head at night so that you and I might inherit the kingdom of God. 
chapter 9, verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So not only does grace come to us through Jesus Christ, it goes from us as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We have all that we need. He is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. We're not only recipients of grace, we are also distributors of grace. And giving is just one small facet of that. But also, it teaches that we are to give generously. Chapter 8, verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Severe affliction Extreme poverty. And out of that came generosity. That's not usually the recipe for generosity. But by the grace of God, that's what it became. Chapter 9, verse 11 says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. We belong to a generous God. And that's one of his attributes that he wants us to embrace. Also, we are to give earnestly, which literally means to care, right? Chapter 8, verse 8 says, I say this, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. We are to give cheerfully. Chapter 9, verse number 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we receive the grace of God, we don't give because we have to, we give because we want to, and we do it cheerfully. It's not like, man, I, I got I to write this check this week, man, I sure hate to do it. I can think of a lot of other things. No, it's, it's, I've received everything I ever wanted in Jesus Christ. We get to. We are to give freely. Chapter 9, verse 9, as it is written, He has distributed freely, as given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. When we give freely, it's no strings attached, right? It's not like, I'm going to give, but you have to do this with it. No. Freely. We hold on to our things loosely as followers of Jesus. Why? Because he gave up everything for us. We are to give thankfully. Chapter 9, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's a response of thanksgiving and lastly we are to give gloriously chapter 9 verse 13 says by their approval of this service they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others generosity glorifies God when it is the result of his grace 
being received by his people. We want to glorify God through our giving. But also, others can glorify God through our giving as well, right? That's what we want to give towards. That's what we want the result of our giving to be is that many would glorify God as a result. Now, Jesus taught this is not to be confused with the glorifying of ourself, right? He said, look, when you give, give secretly. This, this is not for public display. I literally had uh, a friend on Facebook shared the other day a picture of his tithe envelope. He was so excited that he gave his first $10,000 gift ever to the church. Folks, that is not the will of God, right? Is that we give to glorify ourselves. That's not his will. It's, it's for his glory, not ours. And that's, for, that's between us and him and not us and one another. All of these should describe the heart of our giving and and it's just a direct reflection of the new heart that we receive in Christ Jesus. The love of God is, is really directly connected to our generosity. I already mentioned John 3.16, the gospel of love of the world that he gave. We, we know in 1 John 4 that we love him because he first loved us. It's a response to his love and, and his grace. When his disciples asked him, what is the greatest commandment? It's to love him and to love one another. We have the story of the, of the widow's might who gave more than any person in the eyes of Jesus and who gave less than anyone in the eyes of everybody else. We have the story of the rich young ruler, right, who Jesus said, sell everything and give it all away. And he went away sorrowful because he wasn't willing to. He was keeping the commandments. That was his testimony. I'm, I'm keeping all the rules, God, or Jesus. But he, Jesus said, well, sell everything. Give it, give it to the poor. Nope. He walked away sorrowful. It's the love of God that, that moves us to be generous. Now, how much do we give? That's a, another question that often comes up in discussions about what the Bible teaches on giving. And this particular passage does speak uh, to, to that amount. It says, so, so now that we better understand kind of the right attitude, let's, let's look at that. What is the right amount? And first of all, I'll, I'll just address a few misunderstandings about New Testament giving. First, it's not to keep a commandment. As we see in chapter 8, Verse 8, Paul says, I say this not as a command. Now, we do, if you've studied the Old Testament, we know that there are laws that require people to give certain amounts for certain things. And those were there for a reason. In Numbers chapter 18 and it teaches that there was one tithe that went to the Levites. So 10% of what everyone had, they were to give to support the tribe of Levi, who were the Levitical priests. Why? Because they had no inheritance. They had no land. The Lord provided for them by requiring 10% of all the other tribes 
or requiring the other tribes to give 10% to the support of the priest. There was a second tithe that required 10% for the support of the temple or the feast mainly. So if you've ever looked at Leviticus 23, there's seven feasts that, that uh, the law requires the people to keep. And that stuff costs money. The temple costs money. And so every tribe was required to give 10% to keep up with all of that. And then Deuteronomy 14 also required that 10% be given every three years for the poor. So we use the term tithing pretty regularly in Baptist churches today. And it's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but I want to make sure that we understand what the law requires. It's three tithes. 10% for the priest, 10% for the feast, and 10% every three years for the poor. When you total all that up, what the law requires is that the people give 23 and a third percent of what they have every year. Now, that seems like a lot in... You've probably even heard about some churches. They want to see your W-2 or your tax return and figure out if you're given the right amount because it's that, that law-based mindset. And that's wrong. It's not right. right? We, we live on this side of the cross. If you read Hebrews 7 and 8, it teaches that that tithe of the, or that law that required a tithe was abolished, right? That we have something far greater. And that's what I want to show you in the law this morning is that those three tithes were pointing to our Savior. And now He has come. And because He has come, there are no more priests. Every believer is a priest. The Bible teaches that. The tribe of Levi is not dependent on you and I to provide for them today. Right? Jesus has come. And that... That requirement to pay the tithe has been satisfied by Jesus Christ. Furthermore, the tithe for the feast or the temple has been abolished. Why? Because Christ Jesus has come and he's died and he was buried and he rose on the third day. And because of that, our hearts have become the temple of the living God. We back up a chapter. We see it in chapter 7, right? Thirdly, the tithe for the poor, which Jesus taught in Matthew 25. He does encourage us to, to give to the poor, and that's a direct ministry to him, the way he words it there. But we see even in this very passage that we've read today that even though he was rich, for our sake, he became poor. So these three laws in the Old Testament that required a tithe of the people of God were satisfied in Christ Jesus. They were pointing to him. And now that he has come, it's not required. But when we read the New Testament, we see giving is still a part of who we are. It's not as a commandment. It's freely. It's cheerfully. It's thankfully. It's glorious. That tithe, if you think about it, was, was really more like a tax, right? If you pay property tax or sales tax, when you pay that, it's allocated. 
So if you, you pay your property tax, the school gets a certain amount, the road department gets a certain amount, the police department gets a certain amount. That's kind of the way it was set up. But we know that when we read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it's, it's something different. So what does, it, what, what does it teach? Well, in chapter 8, verse 3, we see that we're to give uh, according to our means and even beyond. It says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Chapter 8, verse 12 says to give according to what we have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Teaches us to give abundantly. Chapter 8, verse 14, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. And chapter 8, verse 15 really says to to turn loose of everything, right? As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. After all, that's, that's what Jesus did, right? He, he let go of everything. Everything for our sake. And grace is a far better motive for giving than guilt. Far better. Not just in giving, but in everything. In everything. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of guilt-filled sermons on all kinds of things, including tithing and how you're robbing God if you, if you don't do it. But what Paul is teaching us in these two chapters was that the Macedonian churches were different. They were different. And they were different because of the grace of God. And Cell Street Church should be different. And the reason we should be different is not because we're great rule keepers, but because we've received the grace of God. And we, we shouldn't get hung up on, on the amount that we give, but the reason that we give is, give is really what matters most. We don't give according to what we have but what God has given us when we think about how much we are going to give I'd, I'd rather us think about how much we're going to keep rather than how much we're going to give and I think when we think about giving we need to think beyond our individual giving and even as a church and my greatest desire for Cell Street Church is that we become the most generous church in Lake Charles. Not just that you all would give to the ministry of Cell Street, but that we'd be like the Macedonian church. And we'd be, we'd be known for meeting the needs of other people because the grace of God has so changed us. And we were so undeserving of that when we see people who are helpless and in need, just like the Macedonian church did. We'll do whatever it takes. Even though we can't afford it, we're going to give towards it. That's the testimony that God desires for us to have. Andrew shared a, a quote with us on 
Tuesday in our preaching meeting that I thought was worthy of sharing by a fellow named Dane Ortland. Here's what he says. Grace without giving is fraudulent and no real grace at all. Giving without grace is moralistic do-goodism. It only makes cranky Christians crankier. But when the grace of God and the gospel, outrageous and undeserved, in defiance of what we most deeply deserve, comes washing into our hearts, our clenched hands soften, and we are released into the joy of generosity. I thought he did a great job summarizing how grace makes us generous. The attitude with which we give is very important. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, If you're offering your gift at the altar and they'll remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It, it's not about the gift, right? As much as it is the heart. What Christ desires in us is pure hearts. And generosity is a, a part of that. But if we are holding a grudge, he'd rather us leave our gifts, go and reconcile, and then come back. Than to just bring our gifts with begrudging hearts. He demonstrated it perfectly. I mean, if anybody has a right to hold a grudge against us, it's the holy, perfect, pure God who sits on the throne of the universe. But He is so gracious and so loving that when we couldn't get to Him, He came to us. In the form of His Son. And did all that was necessary to reconcile us to Him. And when we are reconciled to Him, we are His. We belong to Him. Everything we have. You know, one of my favorite memories of my children is... Uh, when Faith was about four years old, she wrote a letter. We didn't even know about it. Ashton and I, I went to church, and they took up the offering, and we saw her put something in there. And she, she wrote a letter to Jesus, put it in the offering plate. She thought it was all his. She thought it went straight to him. And I thought, man, that's the heart. That's the heart that we should all give with. I mean, three or four years old, just... Innocent, did, I mean, thought it literally went, went to him. And it, and it should. Matter of fact, when, when, we, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, I mean, it, it's as if we just go stand in the offering plate. With that same mindset that it's, it's all his. One preacher said it, when, when you... Trust in Jesus, it's like writing a blank check with your life and putting it in his hands. Why would anybody do that? Why? Because he's done for us what no one else could ever do. And my prayer is that we would truly, truly become the most generous people on earth only because... 
we fully embraced him as our Savior, as Lord, Master. He would truly sit upon the throne of our heart. That we would truly believe that all of these bricks and boards are going up in smoke someday. And it's not going to matter. But there are countless souls that he desires glory from and worship from. That our worshipful, generous hearts would point them towards him. One of the things that we want to do in in response to this message on biblical giving as a church is we, we want to be more worshipful in our giving. One of the things that we've gotten away from, I think, is taking time in, in our worship services on Sunday morning to, to really reflect on who God is and to give an offering uh, to Him. And so today, uh, we're going to start something, uh, I don't know if you would say new, but each week at the end of the message, before we stand and sing, we want to take just a few minutes to kind of sit and reflect one of the ways that we'll do that is that we will uh, have an opportunity for you to give. There will be some ushers walking, and if you want to give, you just make eye contact with them or signal them, and they'll, they'll come and, and take up an offering. And uh, That's one of the ways that we worship. Prayer. If you want to come to the altar and pray or you want to sit in your pew and, and pray, this time of response will be time that we can pray and just reflect and examine our hearts. You know what Jesus told in that Matthew 5 passage? You know, our, our approach to him in giving is almost like it, like it should be when we take the Lord's Supper, right? That our, we should examine our hearts. Now, one of my most worshipful experiences when it comes to taking up an offering, my first trip to Africa, I'll never forget, we went to... The church where I was preaching that Sunday, and they met in a schoolhouse in a classroom. And the, so the pastor brings these uh, baskets and sets them in the front, man. And look, people started singing and dancing, and they started just dancing down the aisle to those offering baskets, man. And they were putting a little bit of money and a whole lot of, man, fruits and vegetables, whatever they had, man. I just, I just kind of sat back. I was like, man, this is awesome. But that's their culture. We're not going to sing and we're not going to dance and, and come, but, you know, our hearts should be the same. Is that we should truly, truly be excited, cheerful, thankful when we do so. And so, today will be the, the first Sunday that we have this time of reflection and our deacons will come and they'll be um, here in the, in the sanctuary. And we'll... But if you're here this morning and... You're not a believer. You've not received that grace of God that changes everything in you. And you know, I've shared with you already that Jesus has done all that is necessary because He's the only one who could to make the forgiveness of your sins possible. Not just the forgiveness, but deliverance. You may be here this morning, you may be in bondage to sin, the last thing you want to do is hear somebody asking you to give money to a church. That's not what we're asking this morning. What we want you to know this morning is that 
He loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. There's no sin that you've committed, that you are too far gone, and there's no act of righteousness that you have done that would deem you righteous enough to not need a Savior. If you're here this morning and you want to respond to the gospel and you, you want to stand in that offering plate, if you want to surrender your life to him, I encourage you to do that. We'll have some of our elders here in the front this morning. Let's just take a minute and let's sit and reflect. First of all, in what we have received in Christ Jesus, but also in what the Lord may be speaking to our hearts this morning. Maybe it's totally unrelated to giving. Maybe the, the verse about go and reconcile with someone that you're holding a grudge against has spoke to your heart. Go, man, send them a text message. Call them. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. Pray for an opportunity to make that reality. The Spirit is so capable of convicting our hearts in a, in a way that leads to a response. And I just encourage you to consider what that would be today and to respond. And so they're going to play a minute before we sing our Ushers will be taking up an offering so that we can respond in giving. The altars are open if you want to pray. There will be a couple of us standing here. We'll pray with you or counsel you if you have questions. Maybe you just want to pray for our church that we would be generous people. What does that look like? We'll take just a minute and then I'll, I'll pray for us. When that time is over and it's time to stand and, and sing. But let's just sit and reflect for a moment.